Today on This Week in Iowa, recapping the elections. First, we start with City Council analysis from our team, then school board races across the metro. The biggest takeaways, we close with an interview on bridging the political divide. Messages to start your Sunday. Good morning, everyone, and thanks so much for being with us here on This Week in Iowa. So let's begin by recapping the races for City Council in Des Moines. This is the first City Council election since the protests of last summer. The effects of the protests that took place last May have trickled down into City Council meetings, especially here in Des Moines. A specific group of community members have been extremely vocal about the change in direction that they hope to see our City Council take. Within the months following the protests, there have been several encounters of disruption during the meetings, leading officials to change the way they conduct the meetings. They cut the time, limited the number of people able to make comment, and changed when in the meetings that comment can happen. Well, that community group is making, who was making disruptions, fighting to say their voices are not being heard. Voters had their opportunity to make their concerns known by placing those ballots in the ballot box. First of all, I hope that we can actually get people's voices heard on city council. Um, they've been ignoring us for too long and now they won't be able to anymore. So that's the big story out of Des Moines from this election. Indira Dixon Shoemaker beat incumbent Bill Grant challenger Marcus Kanan winning with 47% of the vote. Shoemaker is the first black female council member since 1985. She's also a young voice on city council. She's like 27 years old. Shoemaker says she hopes to be the voice of the people she feels are without one at this time. So who is Indira Shoemaker? Well, uh, what does it mean for the future of the city council? She's the first time city council candidate and city council member. She's an organizer and activist with the Des Moines Black Liberation Movement and the Des Moines People's Town Hall. She's also an advocate for social justice and our community, community activism. Okay, let's stick with city council races where there were two choices for the at-large seat for Des Moines City Council. Connie Bozen was the incumbent, Justin Lewis the challenger. Bozen beat Lewis winning with 54% of the vote. And then in Ward 3, the top three candidates were incumbent Josh Mandelbaum, Corey McAnally, and Brandi Weber were the challengers, but Josh Mandelbaum retained his seat with 40% of the vote. Corey McAnally came in second. So the Des Moines School District, the largest district in our state, will now be governed by an all-female school board. Jackie Norris, newcomer who broke fundraising records in Des Moines, was elected, and that solidified the all-female board. All three of these women won their elections. In the Ankeny School District, in their board vote, seven candidates were vying for three seats and conservatives swept the Ankeny School Board election, putting the school district's mask mandate in question. The top three candidates for the Ankeny School Director at large seat were Joy Burke, Trent Murphy, taking 18% of the vote each, then Sarah Barthol, right behind them with 17%. Incumbent Lori Lovestead lost her seat, coming in about 800 votes shy of Barthol. Joy Burke received the highest number of votes, less than 200, more than Trent Murphy. Murphy has past experience on this board, serving 10 years back between 2001 to 2011. Burke and Barthol, both new to this post. Now, you'll recall that Barthol was actually endorsed by Governor Reynolds. But then we take you to Waukee, and it's a different story here. Voters picking four directors at large for the school board, 
and it was a tight race. So the top two here uh, as we continue to talk about these candidates finishing a 14% Lori Lyon and Jamie Sicori and then the other two candidates Michael Schrote and Armel Nynan. None of the four candidates who ran on anti-critical race theory on that platform. None of those four were elected. These four are all pro masking in the schools. Coming up on This Week in Iowa, it's 10-16, everybody. We have the results. Uh, we're going to get to the analysis now. Takeaways from City Council. Races are first. Next. You're watching This Week in Iowa. Okay, so we broke down the results. Now let's get into what it all means. I sat down with our analysts from both sides of the aisle to discuss what happened election night. And this morning, we start by talking about the implications of the city council races. We are here now with Pete D'Alessandro, a progressive analyst, and Craig Robinson, a conservative analyst, talking about the implications of these city council and then school board elections. So let's start by talking about the city council election. I want to specifically drill down on Des Moines City Council because we saw for the first time ever um, a BLM activist, first time in our city, um, win a city election. Um, that's Indira Shoemaker. Talk to me about those reactions that you first had. Well, I, I think it's actually one of the, the, the bigger victories that, that you've seen here in terms of uh, how it's going to upset the apple cart, so to speak. Not only uh, is she an amazing activist, a BLM activist, she ran as that. She didn't use any of the code words that people like us try to tell people to <laughs> use from time to time. She was at the door saying, defund the police, and then explaining what it meant to people. And she won doing that. And I think that's a great thing for a lot of us to look at and how to... Uh, do this in the, as we move forward. And I think it tells us a little bit about the city of Des Moines and the direction that it's going politically. Um, that you know, when we were in the suburbs in Ankeny, we had you know, conservative candidates win those uh, city council seats, um, uh, at least in my town in Ankeny. Um, but in Des Moines, you know, it's blue, it's solidified. And then it added you know, this BLM voice to the city council and it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic that brings uh to the city council itself because there's been you know even with des moines it's this isn't yep. necessarily changing the dynamic at the city council in terms of politically but in terms of how they deal with these issues defunding the police mm -hmm. and all that now there's now there's a person from the board uh or from the, the council who can really drive those issues for those people. And I think the other thing we need to be um, clear about in this is, uh, and Dara's definitely a progressive, she's definitely someone who won on those issues. Dara's not a registered Democrat. So that's another thing that in a blue city, yeah. Democrats better start looking at, is this is someone who doesn't identify and say I'm a Democrat because they haven't embraced a lot of these things yet. One though of seven now members of the city council. So how, can, how effective do you think she can be when she also will have to work with all of these people who she's shut out and really tried to fight with? Yeah, I think the issue is even more uh, for her, she's gonna find herself in a unique position where her activists, her, the, where she comes from is gonna demand a lot of her and now she's in a different setting and it's, it's, we're really gonna see, I think early on, her skill set. How does she manage that? How does she work with this board? What does you know? What fights is she going to fight, and what fights are she, is, is she going to back off on? 
So I really think she sets the tone yeah. and how to do this. And she needs to work on how, how she works with these BLM people to say, here's, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. You need to be behind me. One thing I will say about that, and I think that's a great point, is this is a councilwoman who will fight the fights that need to be fought. And that's how she'll make her decisions. And it isn't going to be, I might lose six to one. That, that's not going to be what it's about at all. She's going to decide what the fights are that need to be fought, and she'll fight them. Overall, what do you think it says for uh, the, the future of politics in this part of the state having a BLM activist win? I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> I, I, I know you are. I, I, I think it shows that, that, that you can push back at the status quo and that, and that you can do it not just in these moral victory ways anymore. You can do it in a way, look, Beaverdale isn't exactly um, Berkeley. You know, she, it isn't like she won in some, you know, leftist place that's, that's known for that in their general election way of doing things. And, and she did it with hard work. But I think the important thing, I think politicians of all stripes should look at this. She did it without masking anything she believed in. She looked people in the eye and said, this is what I'm going to do. And I think that might be a lesson that all of us can take something from. And I look from it a little bit with concern. And I think that, you know, look at Minneapolis last night. They, you know, they pushed back on a changing their police department into a public safety uh, department and all that. And so I think this is a really complex situation. Um, and so I think it means maybe, maybe Des Moines is a little more left-leaning now than it was before this election. And, uh, but I think that that these issues uh, are going to be front and center in Des Moines. And so uh, we're going to get everything that comes with that. We continue our conversation with our analysts, but move on to talk about the school board races, themes, or lack thereof from Tuesday. You're watching This Week in Iowa. You're watching This Week in Iowa. And now to the school board races and the lack of theme that emerged from the results. But our analysts say there may be more than meets the eye in these results. Take a listen. Pete and Craig, thank you so much for continuing to stay with us and talk about these races. I want to move on to the school board races because what we saw across the state was two very different stories. Um, we saw some progressives win and a landslide in some districts, and then we saw some very conservative uh, candidates win in landslide. It was either all or nothing. So talk to me about your reactions to this. Well, I was actually talking to someone about it early in the evening last night, and I was wrong. Uh, and, and the point is, usually in situations like this, regardless of communities, one side will sweep all of them because there is just a prevailing feeling of mask or not mask. And what I thought was uh, politically interesting about it last night was that, that, that what you just said didn't happen. That some communities said, yes, we like the, the, the pro-mask people, and others said we like the anti-mask people. And I think that's what we have to delve into is why would that happen? Because it, it is very unique. And, and I think what happened, you have to look at what's going on in each of these school districts. In Johnston and Ankeny, you have mask mandates. Right. In, in Waukee, you do not. Mm -hmm. So it takes that issue in Waukee and maybe it, it settles it down a little bit. Where in Ankeny, the angst and the emotion of everything that was going on was a drumbeat for two months or, or longer, actually almost 18 months. Right. And so 
it was this culmination of, of everything in Ankeny and they swept it. The same thing was happening uh, in Johnston. The other thing that I think if you look at Johnston and the Ankeny school board races, each one of those six candidates, they ran their own race and then there was a slate. It was a little different in Waukee where mm -hmm. the branding was more about the four and they used a different name and it didn't, you know, in Johnston it was, you know, vote for Ted, Tyndall, Evans, and Davis. Um, you know, in Ankeny, each of those uh, school board members, you know, ran their own campaign, had their signs out. It was a collective effort, but at the end of the day, everyone was still running their own race and they were successful at that. But I think if you want to understand why they're different, I think it's because there's not a mask mandate in Waukee. And also critical race theory was a huge issue that was discussed probably the most in Waukee. Did that just not stick? Well, I, I think that's a little, uh, okay. that's, I, I'm not sure. And I think that's something we have to delve into. That was also a pretty hot topic issue in Ankeny. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so in Ankeny, it's like, it was like building blocks. There was there was the mask mandate. It really started with uh, the hybrid learning situation. Then it turned into masking. Uh, then it turned into critical race theory. And then at the end, we were talking about pornographic literature in libraries. And that was true in Ankeny and Waukee. Right. And, and, and so I, I didn't follow the Waukee stuff as close, but like in Ankeny, everything built off each other. And then it mirrored what we started to see nationally in the Virginia race. Um, and so everything fit yeah. nicely, I think, in Johnston and Ankeny, and Waukee was a little bit different. And I think one of the reasons for that is Waukee is a changing community. So sometimes we see these we see these elections as looking at the community as it was even a cycle ago, mm -hmm. but it's changed since then. So Waukee isn't exactly the same city it was two or four years ago, and it is changing, so we might just be at the beginning of where they are now. Do you think, too, that maybe there's more of a grassroots Republican effort that already existed in Ankeny because there have been some legislature seats that have been pretty close races? Well, you can say the same with Johnston. Yeah. Um, Johnston and Ankeny have been battlegrounds in these uh, yeah. state house, state senate races for a couple cycles right. now. And then in Ankeny, we did have, we just had a special election uh, uh, to fill John Landon's seat. And so there is that more activity, and I think that kind of heightened, heightened it. And I, I also think, I can speak for Ankeny, you know, you had, you had all these new people who were fired up about school board races, but they were, they were aided by kind of the, the old political veterans that were, uh, that have been running these races uh, forever. And it was a beautiful kind of marriage mm -hmm. uh, between young and fired up and people who are like, hey, these are the fundamental basics that you need to get done if you want to be successful. And it worked great. I think the other thing about it is that, that people kind of look past because I think the, the kind of the, the talking class, uh, head class kind of thing, started talking about the, um, the partisanship that's becoming in these elections. I think the voters looked right past that. I don't, I don't think it was as important to the voters that the Democrats are taking part, the Republicans are taking part, because they have a say in their communities too. And like we said with Enderin and Pennant won. But that I, I think voters looked past it and it wasn't an issue. So what does the future look like then? What does the future of party politics in our state look like seeing the maskers win in Milwaukee? <laughs> I think and, it looks better for his and, party. I mean, it does, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think it looks good for kind of the conservative movement. But I actually think if you, I think last night those election results are going to show us 
maybe where the where the contested races are really going to be at. Mm-hmm. If you're a Democrat, are you going to say, hey, I think we can win these Ankeny seats and this Johnson seats? Or are you going to say, hey, maybe we should spend more time looking in Dallas County and in those areas that have new, uh, newly created uh, legislative districts? And if you're a progressive, maybe you're going to say, these are the seats that, that, that we can win because we can win a primary. And don't write this off. I think there's going to be a lot of progressives that look at Indira's win and say, hey, maybe we should go right to November and bring these issues to the people in November if the Democratic Party isn't going to nominate people that are going to talk about it. And maybe we're going to become one of those states that has three people running that are running with serious chances to win in certain districts. We switch gears to bridging the political divide, a surprising story for you to give you some perspective. That's next on This Week in Iowa. You're watching This Week in Iowa. Damian Thompson is the Director of Public Policy and Communications of Iowa Safe Schools, an advocacy group for LGBTQ youth. He's also the head of the Central Iowa Chapter for Iowa Young Republicans and a former Governor Reynolds staffer. These might sound like conflicting views or ideologies, but I sat down with him outside both those roles to talk about the differing backgrounds and how they actually make him a better advocate. I will give kudos to my former executive director. He was very strategic in his hire of me. He saw me. Uh, we had done some work uh, when I was at the governor's office together, uh, and then he knew about just my general background. Um, so they wanted a conservative, a Republican, uh, to be spearheading this entirely new policy position at Iowa Safe Schools. Uh, and really, we've done a great job in our employee culture about being nonpartisan. I mean, we are a 501c3, so we definitely have to be nonpartisan, but uh, we worked with students from all sorts of different political and cultural backgrounds. I would say in terms of uh, sometimes the tension that can occur, uh, really I love to approach that just as a learning opportunity. Uh, I work with friends in the legislature, friends in the governor's office, um, just to kind of correct the record, because uh, on our issues I will say the science, the facts are always on our side. Um, but it just takes a little education sometimes, which is what I'm always more than happy to do. Fascinating. So why do you think it's important to have someone with your background representing the marginalized youth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really easy to fall into uh, this kind of progressive politics kind of black hole of just getting activist types, coming up to the Capitol, having a press conference, painting sides uh, and just kind of storming around and shouting, uh, which is definitely one tactic, but I know we feel really strongly about getting things actually done, whether it's stopping some of the really harmful pieces of legislation that do occasionally come up, or uh, also getting good policies like banning conversion therapy uh, passed. So it's gonna take someone uh, with uh, a different kind of mindset and outlook to do that in a Republican trifecta on an issue like this. Uh, and that's where they brought me in, I guess, and I feel like we've been pretty successful so far. What do you want people to know about you, who mm-hmm. might look at you and judge a book by its cover, but then learn that perhaps um, what you see is not necessarily what you get? Is that fair? Yeah, no, uh, I think that's a great question, and I would say uh, the work I do both in my professional and my personal lives, I don't think they're necessarily always opposed, right? I think being conservative and really being an American uh, means freedom for all to work, uh, contribute to their communities and have families. And I feel strongly that 
uh, both within my work for Republicans and at Iowa Safe Schools, uh, I fight very hard for that ideal. And that um, regardless what community you're a part of, the really the golden rule is um, care, love for all, care for all, be inclusive of everyone, um, because discrimination is not good uh, for business. I mean, 94% of all businesses have some sort of anti-discrimination uh, or diversity, equity, inclusion protections in place. Uh, the vast majority of Iowa businesses or business associations uh, that are up at the state capitol fight for inclusive policies and against uh, non-inclusive policies. Uh, and I think when we're in a time of economic stagnation, uh, we need to be drawing good workforces and states with good workforces are the states that are leading on these issues. So uh, I feel pretty strongly that I'm able to bring those two areas of my life together. Personally, have you ever come up, come in, come across someone as a Republican or as working in a what might, some might consider a progressive group? Um, have you have, has anyone have you ever felt discriminated against for that? Yeah, um, there's definitely been some situations of uh, tension, I would say, uh, and my kind of personality is really to diffuse that, uh, approach it directly, clear the air. Whether it's as chair of Central Iowa Young Republicans, I've, been made it, I've made it really clear to my membership that I want it to be an organization where every registered Republican conservative can feel welcome. Whether it's the moderates uh, or uh, our more religious folks, uh, our nationalist Republicans, whatever issue area uh, that you're interested in, if you're willing to help the party and get to know people, I want people to feel welcome. And that's really been a great way to diffuse that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, in my professional life, I've definitely, especially when I started in this organization, I would say there were some uh, folks that have been in this area for a long time and have contributed a lot to uh, LGBTQ equality. And they might have been a little skeptical of my motivations uh, or why I was there, but I think I've proven myself uh, in that area as well over the last almost three years I've been in this position, uh, my willingness to fight uh, for the students.